the year 2022 full of unexpected changes, but more are on the horizon. The Chinese Communist Party is opening its borders, soon allowing Chinese people to visit other countries. An unprecedented COVID-19 outbreak sweeping the country, bringing risks of new virus mutations. The world's second largest economy in question as it copes with export bans from the U.S., growing pushback from the international community and surging tensions with Taiwan. We examine the year the world is leaving behind and look at what to expect in the year to come. Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. The end of 2022 wasn't easy for China or the world. An unprecedented COVID-19 outbreak is ripping through the country, triggering concerns across the globe. The U.S., Japan, Italy and India imposed travel restrictions on Chinese travelers. The context? Beijing will allow Chinese citizens to travel abroad again, starting January 8th. On the other hand, eager travelers are booking flights out of China, hungry for a trip after several years of isolation. Bookings for tickets has jumped more than threefold. This as China battles its biggest ever outbreak. According to a leaked document from Chinese authorities, 248 million have been infected, and over 2 million people could die in the next three months, predicted by health data analytics company Airfinity. Adding to the uncertainty, scientists now warning against new virus mutants. The fear is China's outbreak might spawn new variants that could drag other parts of the world into another wave. But more data is needed for better analysis. Already in 2020, China stopped publishing genome sequencing, an effective way to identify new mutants. Beijing has only reported a handful of virus-related deaths since lifting its strict zero-COVID-19 policy this month. But deaths are much less likely to go under the radar. On the ground, reports are coming out of China. Funeral homes are overflowing and bodies are piling up at crematoriums. Now the demand for cremation has exploded. People need to wait several days. The appointment could be for any date. Some even forced to wait days before the bodies of their loved ones can be transported out of their homes. The scariest thing is not the dead, it's that a large number of corpses are left at home for one day, two days, three, four, five, six days, seven days. To help cope, some underground parking garages and makeshift hospitals are being converted into morgues. The grim situation has seen officials, experts, artists and public figures die in unusual numbers amid the surge many of them closely aligned with the Chinese Communist Party. The widespread struggle to weather the outbreak caused by a natural immunity gap due to nearly three years of prolonged lockdowns and isolation. The abrupt decision to suspend lockdown orders caught the Chinese public off guard, but it's caused other issues like shortages of medicines. Drug prices are skyrocketing and factories have complained about the lack of advanced notice ahead of the policy change. A Beijing writer commented on the recent events in an article, writing, people who thought they knew how the rules worked are left bruised and betrayed. And a resident taking aim at Beijing's assurance that the country is fighting a prepared battle. 
I couldn't sleep last night. I was furious because the country opened up without preparing well beforehand. We have nothing now, no medicine, and the regime is still praising itself all day long. It says it's a great victory in the fight against the pandemic. So shameless. Through this pandemic, the Communist Party has completely lost the trust of the people. The question that's now facing the country. After years in isolation, what were they really sacrificing? This year, China's Communist Party leader Xi Jinping stepped up his long-running campaign to eliminate a virus that most of the world had learned to live with. During the Communist Party Congress in October, he pledged not to waver in the battle to eliminate COVID-19. A month later, that policy hit its breaking point. People had had enough. Some even called for Xi to step down. That's as the zero COVID-19 policy ravaged China's market and the world economy, and the daily lives of 1.4 billion people disrupted. Many economists now forecasting under 3% GDP growth for China, well below previous years. Global confidence in the country's industrial supply chains also dwindled. On the tech front, Apple saw delays in production for its new iPhones, securing its capability of producing all of its main products outside China. Beyond the economic toll, China has announced its biggest citywide lockdowns. Lockdowns have been integral in China's zero COVID-19 policy. Hundreds of millions of people have been put under the isolation measures at some time in the past years. The most attention-grabbing lockdown mandate started in April in China's financial hub, Shanghai. The restrictions stretched out for months, impacting the city's nearly 25 million people. In the country's wealthiest and most glamorous city, the result was a food crisis and a lack of medical care. The chaos in Shanghai's shipping port also disrupted global supply chains. Across China, 2022's draconian lockdown measures saw a series of unsettling episodes. Several pregnant women lost their unborn babies while waiting outside hospitals after they were refused care because of COVID regulations. And as public desperation grew, reports showed some jumping from buildings during the lockdown. Those frustrations mounted until massive anti-lockdown protests erupted across China. By early December 2nd, at least 23 demonstrations kicked off across 17 Chinese cities. This widespread unrest sparked when a deadly fire broke out in the Xinjiang region. Barriers surrounding the locked-down apartment blocked emergency rescue teams from accessing the premises and putting out the blaze. A discovery from this year, Beijing's been extending its policing into other countries by setting up over a hundred police offices around the world. That's been revealed by Safeguard Defenders, a human rights group. Of those over 100 offices, two are located in New York and one in Los Angeles. FBI Director Christopher Wray vowed to put a stop to them. I'm deeply concerned about this, uh, and I'm not going to just let it lie. He called it outrageous that Chinese police would attempt to set up shop without proper coordination. Beijing says the police offices provide administrative services to Chinese citizens stuck overseas due to the pandemic. But the FBI director says they also serve other purposes harassing, stalking, surveilling, blackmailing uh, people who they just don't like or who disagree with the, the Xi regime. And so it's a real problem and it's something that we're talking with our, our foreign partners about as well because we're not the only country where this is, uh, has occurred.
More than 10 countries have launched investigations into the issue. Ireland and the Netherlands have ordered the police stations within their borders to close, while Canada filed official complaints with its Chinese ambassador. Next, the biggest action for the American semiconductor industry in 2022, the CHIPS Act. In August, President Biden signed the CHIPS and Science Act. The $280 billion project was designed to boost domestic semiconductor manufacturing. American manufacturing is back. It focuses on semiconductors, the tiny devices at the heart of modern electronics and weapons. Whoever wins the semiconductor race already wins half of the war toward global dominance. A White House statement said the funds would reduce dependence on critical technologies from China and other vulnerable or overtly concentrated foreign supply chains. Under the act, Taiwanese microchip maker TSMC is upgrading its investment into its new factory in Arizona to $40 billion, while Micron is investing $100 billion to build factories in New York State. On the other hand, Chinese chip industry giants are struggling. That's after the U.S. announced a ban on exporting chips to China in November. Advanced chips, as well as their manufacturing equipment, must apply for a license from U.S. authorities if they want permission to export technology to the country. As a result, China's biggest microchip maker, SMIC, had to halt plans to explore advanced chips. While another major Chinese chipmaker took an even harder hit, its U.S. equipment suppliers pulled their engineers out of the company's plants in China. 2022 has been a tough year for one of America's most popular social media platforms, TikTok. The app is now facing growing pushback, with sources ranging from lawmakers to the director of the FBI. Let's zoom in. At the end of the day, TikTok is China's digital Fentanyl. Chinese government could use it to control data collection on millions of users or control the recommendation algorithm, uh, which could be used for influence operations if they so chose. Chinese-owned TikTok, now with 100 million U.S. users, two-thirds of American teenagers use the platform. The platform is best known for its viral dance and funny videos. But critics argue that's just sheep's clothing. Some internal communication from TikTok leaked over the summer that showed, quote, everything is seen back in China. TikTok's parent company, ByteDance, is based in China. Under Chinese law, companies have to hand over user data to officials if requested. On Capitol Hill, the House has banned the app on House-issued mobile devices. The Senate also passed a bill banning TikTok from U.S. government devices. The U.S. military, the State Department and the Department of Homeland Security also banned the app on their devices. 18 U.S. states did the same. A major deal after a decade-long wrestle between Beijing and Washington. This year, the U.S. getting full access to audit Chinese companies listed on America's stock exchanges. The U.S. auditing watchdog, called PCAOB, said in December, for the first time in history, we are able to perform full inspections to root out potential problems and hold firms accountable to fix them. On the other hand, this means that the over 260 Chinese companies can stay listed and keep raising U.S. capital, at least for now. Why is this significant? Here's the background. To protect investors, U.S. regulators check the finances of companies listed on the U.S. stock exchanges to prevent fraud. 
But for over a decade, Chinese companies refused to open their books, with Beijing citing national security concerns. American market watchdog allowed them to list in the U.S. anyway. Critics argue the lack of the audit has contributed to frauds, like the scandal of Chinese coffee chain Luckin. In 2020, the company admitted it faked its sales by over $300 million. Its stock plunged over 90 percent, and Luckin ended up paying $180 million to settle fraud charges. Under Trump, the U.S. passed a law that would remove Chinese companies from the U.S. stock market if they failed to open their books to U.S. regulators three years in a row. The over 260 Chinese companies listed on U.S. exchanges are worth $700 billion in market value. The U.S. said the delisting risk could resume if Beijing meddles with future inspections. This year, Biden and Xi Jinping met in Asia. It was the first face-to-face meeting between leaders of the world's two biggest economies. The meeting came as relations between the two countries hit a record low and as tensions mount over issues like Taiwan and China's growing military aggression. President Biden spoke with Chinese leader Xi Jinping for almost three hours. Here are the key messages he sought to deliver. We're going to compete vigorously, but I'm not looking for conflict. I absolutely believe there need not be a new Cold War. One of the key topics, Taiwan. Our one-China policy has not changed, has not changed. We oppose unilateral change in the status quo by either side, and we're committed to maintaining the peace and stability in the Taiwan Straits. Beijing sees Taiwan as part of its own territory and has vowed to take it under control by force if necessary. The U.S. acknowledges Beijing's claim over Taiwan, but does not endorse it. In the meantime, Washington provides Taiwan with arms sales, so it has the means to defend itself. Chinese leader Xi Jinping told Biden that Taiwan is a red line that cannot be crossed in the U.S.-China relationship. Though there were also areas of agreement, like climate and food security. The United States stands ready to do just that and work with you if that's what you desire. China suspended climate talks with the U.S. following House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's visit to Taiwan. Beijing also canceled meetings between defense leaders and halted cooperation on combating fentanyl. The U.S. has seized almost 380 million doses of fentanyl this year, enough to kill the entire U.S. population. Fentanyl ingredients are largely made in China and shipped to Mexico, where drug cartels use those ingredients to make fentanyl. A high-profile diplomatic visit generating the biggest media buzz of the year related to China. The trip in question, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's trip to Taiwan in August. Here's how that played out. Right after the news broke that Pelosi planned to visit the island, Beijing lashed out, threatening, quote, resolute and strong measures. Even President Biden seemed unsure about the visit. The military thinks it's not a good idea right now, but uh, I, I don't know what the status of it is. To which Pelosi responded. I think what the president was saying is the Maybe the military was afraid our plane would get shot down or something like that by the Chinese. I don't know exactly. I didn't see it. I didn't hear it. Following weeks of secrecy and anticipation, an American military jet carrying Pelosi touched down in Taipei this August, making the House Speaker the highest-ranking U.S. official to visit the island in 25 years. Today, the world faces a choice between democracy and autocracy. America's determination to preserve democracy here in Taiwan and around the world 
remains ironclad. Following Pelosi's arrival, China kicked off a live military drill in the waters around Taiwan, encircling the island. Warships from both sides sailed at close quarters, close enough that Taiwanese warships could reportedly see the Chinese vessels from their windows. Here's President Biden's reaction to the drill. President, how worried are you about the situation in Taiwan? Because China is kind of keeping a bit of a grip around the whole island now. I am, uh, I'm not worried, but I'm concerned that they're moving as much as they are. But I don't think they're going to do anything more. Pelosi's visit, combined with Beijing's reaction, set off a new trend in Washington. At least 28 U.S. lawmakers have visited Taiwan to show support. Examples include Senator Marsha Blackburn, Senator Edward Markey, and Indiana Governor Eric Holcomb. Following Pelosi's visit, the U.S. approved the largest arms sales to Taiwan under the Biden administration. The $1.1 billion deal aims to boost Taiwan's air defenses. And last but not the least, this year's biggest plane crash in China is also the biggest in more than two decades, killing everyone on board. The plane was a Boeing 737. While on its way to China's Guangzhou city, it lost contact with air traffic control. The plane then plunged over 20,000 feet in three minutes and crashed into a mountainous area. The aircraft had been carrying 132 people. Rescue teams found no survivors. U.S. officials believe someone in the cockpit intentionally crashed the plane. That's according to a report from the Wall Street Journal, citing anonymous sources. Boeing remains partially frozen out of China. The aerospace company hasn't announced any orders from China since 2017. Coming up as we enter the new year, what should the world expect from Chinese leader Xi Jinping? Plus, the new Republican majority in the U.S. House. So a very active, very bellicose uh, Xi Jinping is what we should expect uh, in 2023. We sat down with Bradley Thayer, a founding member of the Committee on the Present Danger China, to find out more. Get his take in just a minute here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Will Chinese leader Xi Jinping show weakness in the year to come due to the country's COVID-19 outbreak? Or will he get more aggressive? Outside Beijing, what should the world expect from the incoming Republican House majority? We spoke to Bradley Thayer, a founding member of the Committee on the Present Danger China, for a breakdown. Here's what he had to say about Xi Jinping. We don't want to underestimate his ability to stay in power. No doubt he's under tremendous pressure, popular pressure, uh, as well as within the party. But he got through the 20th Party Congress in flying colors, if you will. He got everything that he wanted at that 20th Party Congress. Uh, and Hu Jintao was humiliated. Uh, and Jiang Zemin has died. So the Jiang Zemin faction, which was opposed broadly to Xi Jinping, uh, now does not have a leader, does not have the force that it once did. Secondly, at the popular level, the white page or blank page uh, protest movement has been dealt with. Again, China is under the CCP, right? It is a surveillance superpower. Uh, they're able to monitor uh, their population extremely effectively and at low cost. Uh, and so their ability to deal with this protest movement which will in doubt will return in a new guise that's not going anywhere. We'll see many forms of it. 
thus far has been effective. Thirdly, if we look internationally, what have we seen? We have seen Xi Jinping traveling for the first time, right, since COVID. So he's traveled to, uh, obviously, Shanghai Cooperation Organization meeting. He's traveled to Bali. Uh, he traveled then to, on to Bangkok uh, for APEC meeting. So we're seeing an individual who's um, secure enough, both in terms of dealing with his party opponents as well as popular movements, uh, to travel, which if he were in doubt, he would not uh, do so. We've seen aggression against the Indians on uh, this disputed border. We've seen a the largest number of incursions against Taiwanese airspace, uh, and we're seeing a belligerence directed against uh, Japan in terms of co-exercises with the Russians uh, and Chinese uh, forces conducting mock attacks against uh, Japanese targets. So there's a, a belligerence there. And Bradley, expanding on the belligerence we're seeing in, say, international waters, international airspaces, what can we expect going into 2023? What's the biggest area we should look out for when it comes to China and Xi Jinping? Well, we should look for his continued support for Russia in its war against Ukraine. Uh, and so Putin has essentially sold his soul to Xi Jinping and is heavily dependent uh, on Xi. Uh, so Xi has the ability to capitalize on it. We should expect continued pressure against India. Uh, we should expect that embolden um, Xi Jinping in the Middle East, right? Xi also traveled to Saudi Arabia, a very important meeting in Riyadh uh, with a Gulf Cooperation Council uh, and Saudi uh, officials, as well as other Arab uh, uh, leaders. Um, and so uh, additionally, continued pressure against Taiwan, Japan, and against uh, the United States. So a very active, very bellicose uh, Xi Jinping is what we should expect uh, in 2023. And as Chinese economy is going to be in downturn, uh, we should expect that bellicosity not to lessen. And Bradley, given all of that that we can expect coming into this new year, what should the U.S.'s policies towards China be? We do have the new Republican House coming in. What should we expect? Well, the Republican House will have the opportunity to uh, move actively to and creatively uh, in various realms to uh, deal with weaknesses that the United States has and also to take advantage of uh, the vulnerabilities of the Chinese Communist Party. So that's a very welcome development. The new committee under Mike Gallagher, uh, representative uh, from Wisconsin, is a very important uh, development uh, for serving as, if you will, an individual who's tailored. The China threat should be nonpartisan. And you're seeing elements there with Senator Rubio working, for example, with Rokana. Uh, on legislation, again, a Democrat from uh, representative from Silicon Valley. Uh, so you're seeing a lot of bipartisan legislation coming out with respect to TikTok, uh, banning TikTok and other measures to strengthen U.S. manufacturing uh, that has been proposed. So that's a very positive step on the Hill. It's a very positive development that the China threat is seen as nonpartisan and actions uh, are being taken. At the same time, the Biden administration has not been active enough in reassuring Taiwan uh, that the United States is there for it uh, and is going to make the commitment. And unfortunate remarks by Secretary Blinken that we can only deal with one issue at a time 
<laughs> that is Ukraine and not other issues, is uh, not a welcome statement. Um, we need to have support for Taiwan to ensure that there's a robust conventional and nuclear deterrent, uh, which is going to deter aggression by China uh, against Taiwan, as well as other allies and the Indo allies and partners in the Indo-Pacific. And Bradley, on the note of, say, a more robust support of Taiwan, it seems during the Reagan era there's the idea of peace through strength, whereas now sometimes there's the argument of, oh, we don't want to alarm Beijing, we want to make sure Beijing doesn't feel the need to attack. How do we balance that going into, you know, more years when people are expecting an actual war? How do we make sure we don't get that war? Well, it's often expressed along those lines, but uh, it's important to recognize that we already are in a war with China. It is a cold war uh, with China. It is not a kinetic one, but it is in every other realm, diplomatic, ideological realm. Uh, it's very important to recognize that we need to deter uh, Chinese aggression. Xi's emboldened. Uh, and so emboldened leaders uh, have a propensity to take action uh, that's going to be very detrimental uh, to U.S. interests in the Indo-Pacific. And we're already seeing that. The pressure, again, as we've discussed, on Taiwan, Japan, uh, on India, as well as a global presence uh, in Cambodia, of course, in Africa, in um, uh, South America, around Europe, around the world. Uh, needs to be um, uh, addressed. And it's only the United States that can do it. And countries, Tokyo, Taipei, Canberra, New Delhi, all are looking to the United States uh, for leadership in terms of generating uh, this response. So weakness can invite a deterrence failure. Weakness can uh, invite an enemy who misperceives, miscalculates, because he doesn't think that you're actually going to abide by a commitment to Taiwan or to allies with the partners. Bradley, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you. My pleasure. Thank you very much indeed. That's all for today's China In Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocus at ntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching and Happy New Year from all of us. See you in the new year.